You're listening to the Touchdown Under podcast with Jack, Emilian, Anthony, and Ruth. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Touchdown Under podcast. This is episode 22. As always, um, I'm here with Anthony and Emilian. Hey, guys, how's it going? Good to be here. And this is week seven upcoming this week. We've just um, come off arguably the most underwhelming week of the season so far, which is not to say that it was bad, but considering some of the other close finishes and thrilling games we've had to this point, week six was probably slightly underwhelming. Would you guys agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think the only game that had really a, a real like nail-biting finish would have been Texans versus Titans. But even then, um, as soon as the Titans won the coin toss, you pretty much knew they were going to run straight down the field and score a touchdown. Like, even Deshaun Watson knew it as soon as he lost the coin toss. He knew that it would take a miracle for the Texans to win that game. So, yeah, underwhelming week in general, to be honest. Yeah, I think there's a couple of good games. But obviously, you mentioned you know, the Texans-Titans game. That was brilliant. Obviously, a game because over time is going to be good to watch. But also, like, Bears at Panthers. That was a great game. I think defensively, the Bears... We took control, and I think it was, it was close towards the end, so it was good watching. Yeah, there are a few, um, yeah, there's a few of those close games, you know, um, but for the most part, there were, um, you know, those games that were at least, for, for the most part, um, you know, they, they weren't close. Obviously, the, the two Monday Night Football games were, um, you know, not overly uh, thrilling. Um, you had that blowout in Dallas. We just didn't get the week that we kind of expected at the start. Um, yeah. Um, now, Arif uh, is still not with us, unfortunately. Um, but to fill uh, the void of his rising rookies each week, we are going to do a little mini segment where we are going to do a progress update on our rookie predictions that we did at the start of the year. We're going to go over our offensive and defensive rookies of the year. Our soft and our sophomore rises and fallers. Just to talk a bit about rookies um, while Arif is not here to do so for us. And I think we'll kick it off with our um, offensive and defensive rookies of the year. And my offensive rookie of the year was Jerry Judy. And he has had 17 receptions for 266 yards, which ranks 48th in the league and sixth among, among rookie wide receivers. So um, it's been, I wouldn't say disappointing for Judy so far, but in Cortland Sutton's absence, I probably would have expected a bit more out of him. But now that Drew Locke has returned from injury, I do expect, um, you know, better stuff from him going forward. What about you, Anthony? Yeah, I think I agree with you that he didn't really set up as, uh, didn't really set up as much as I would have thought in the presence of, you know, Cortland Sutton being out. I think the Broncos, they really needed him to because they haven't had the best run in the last couple of weeks. They've had, they haven't had particularly, they've had, it's been quite tough against the Steelers and, you know, against, uh, uh, you know, against the other AFC teams. And coming towards the middle of the season, you really want to be peaking. I think, well, given that drill of time back this week, I think there's a chance now to really prove us otherwise. We've proved that it hasn't really done much this season. It hasn't been that, um, hasn't really take, taken advantage of the season so far. So I think, at the halfway point, I think it'd be interesting to see what he can do with the rest of the season now that Drill is coming back. What about your offensive rookie of the year that you picked? Yeah, so my pick, Justin Jefferson, whilst I think it was a bit 
a bit bold selecting a wide receiver to win defensive rookie of the year. So I think, I think I don't think you'll win it because I think you know it hasn't done. No, it's not a lot. Don't get me wrong, but I think just at that position, you have to really be a star from week one. He hasn't been that um, those first couple of weeks, but last the last couple of games he played against Atlanta, and you know um, he's, he's been really he's been, he played really well. Two touchdowns and over a hundred yards receiving. He's becoming a star. So I think whilst the Vikings aren't having the best season, at least they're getting a lot out of out of Justin Jefferson. So. I'm pretty happy that my prediction, whilst not correct, I think it's it's along the right track. It's it's a I think it's a good pick overall. Still, he's done absolutely incredible. I mean, I, I believe he's fifth right now among uh, receiving yard leaders. Uh, obviously, that's yeah. because DK Metcalf had the bye week, so I expect DK Metcalf to jump back in the top five next week. But um, Matt, Justin Jefferson's been playing really well uh, ever since that breakout game. He's really stepped up and become a really good wide receiver two option for Kirk Cousins. So. Uh, as you said, wide receiver, it's a really hard position to win an award for, especially offensive rookie of the year. Yeah. Um, usually it goes to either quarterbacks or running backs. And, you know, there's a lot of good competition out there. Uh, obviously, you've got Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, kind of like, you know, the premier rookie quarterbacks. Um, then, of course, you've got my pick that was Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and he's been playing really well. Obviously, now it's going to be interesting to see how he's going to split the carries with Le'Veon Bell going forward. Um, and then you also got James Robinson there. So I think those four that I just mentioned are really kind of like the front runners for the award right now. But if Justin Jefferson can keep up this level of play, I don't see why he couldn't also be ahead in the race. Yeah, it's an interesting point with Jefferson. I think um, if we're being completely honest, though, most of his yards and touchdowns have come um, at the end of blowouts. Um, he has... He, he, most of his yards have come, you know, in junk time against defenses that have kind of, um, you know, slowed down because it, uh, it's a point in the game where, um, you know, it, it wasn't as competitive. So I think, uh, you know, I, I want to see Jefferson really, you know, do it when the game's on the line, um, when they're actually winning games because I don't think doing it just in junk time is kind of enough to kind of, you know, crown such an award. Um, to him, I don't think he will win it, but yeah, he's been impressive. But I want to see him do it when it counts. So, wait, who do you guys think would um, be offensive rookie of the year if it was awarded this week? Oh, I think. Oh, I'd probably go Joe Burrow. I think. I think that he's had a really good start so far. I think the Bengals aren't quite. Obviously, they had a lot of progress to do to become one of the better teams in the NFL. So they're on track for sure. And I think he's. Especially the game against Indianapolis that he played last week, I think, I think he played really well. I think he's definitely on track to win it. Yep. I think it's between um, Edwards Alaire and Ceedee Lamb. Um, Burrow has had um, he's had a couple of good games, but especially last week in Baltimore um, and a couple of other games where he was a bit shaky. I don't think he's been quite good enough. Um, to this point, because if we're awarding this week, I'm probably going to give it to Edward Zolaire. Um, but I think CeeDee Lamb's a close second in that Cowboys offense. What about you? Uh, I'd go Justin Herbert. I really think he's he's really been playing well for the Chargers. I, I know that they haven't been too impressive lately as a whole, but I've really been impressed with Justin Herbert. He's, I think he's definitely the best rookie quarterback so far. And the reason I say that is because he's got great talent supporting him uh, all around him. So... 
I would go to him. Also, he is a quarterback, so it would be easier to win the award. I don't think CeeDee Lamb has done enough right now as a wide receiver to kind of topple uh, running backs and quarterbacks in this award category so far. Um, but, yeah, I'd give it to Justin Herbert or, as you said, Jack, Clyde Edwards. He's been really playing well. Yeah, um, I agree with the point about Herbert. He he has been uh, uh, he has been the best rookie quarterback um, so far. Um, I think he'd be ahead of Burrow to this point. So just on your point about City Lamb, I think he's done really well, um, especially since he's been competing for you know targets in that offense alongside guys like Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and even Cedric Wilson, but. Um, albeit he's um, seventh in receiving uh, at the moment with 497 yards um, through six games. So I think he's been very impressive. Now, on to our defensive rookie of the year predictions. I had Isaiah Simmons, and he has had 11 total tackles and has played just 78 total defensive snaps through six games. That's an 18% average. He has been virtually non existent through six weeks. And um, he hasn't been injured. I just think well, it certainly looks as if it's been uh, a decision made by the coaching staff, you know, I guess trying to ease him in slowly. But I think um, as the season progresses and as we get, you know, closer to the playoffs, I think you've got to really unleash him and, um, you know, let him play, um, you know, freely like he did at Clemson. So, but yeah, to this point, he's been pretty disappointing. But I think... Considering the amount of snaps he's played, you can't really pin it on him too much. Yeah, fair enough. So from, for my uh, defensive rookie of the year prediction, I had Chase Young. I think that was a lot of people's obvious option. So far, he's got two and a half sacks in the season, a forced fumble and 12 tackles. So whilst they do have, like Washington do have a lot of um, good and solid defensive line players, so like Ryan Kerrigan, um, Jonathan Allen. So there's a lot to compete with, but I reckon... If you watch his highlights in college, I would have expected him to probably do a little more. I reckon, um, so I think at the moment, I don't think he'd probably win it at the moment. Um, but you never know. Maybe maybe um, the Washington defense picks up a little bit more during the end of the season. You know, they've got to play a lot more of the NFC East team. So maybe that gives an opportunity to, you know, put himself up for that potential um, defensive rookie candidate here. Yeah, I also picked Chase Young, and I do think you're kind of underselling him. I think he's definitely one of the front runners right now. I'd say Patrick Queen. I'd say he's probably the obvious candidate right now to win the award. Like, if we had to give it right now, he'd win it. I think we can all agree on that. I'd say Chase Young is up there as well. And also Antoine Winfield um, of the Buccaneers. He's been an incredible safety for them. Uh, he's been forcing a lot of um, stops and turnovers and all that. So he's been really good. Um, it's funny you mentioned the division games, Anthony, because the NFC – East as a whole, probably has one of the worst offensive lines in football. Each team does not have a strong offensive line. The Cowboys riddled with injuries, the Eagles injuries, uh, and the Washington football team and the Giants all have bad, both have like bad offensive lines. So yeah, it's a really good opportunity for Chase Young to start, you know, really showing his true talents and really pushing his game to the next level this season. Maybe to topple Patrick Queen in that defensive rookie of the year, you know, race. Exactly. Yeah. So we also had our sophomore risers and fallers and my sophomore risers um, in their second season were Devin Singletary and Miles Sanders. Singletary's rushed for 270 yards, which is 29th in the league and 6th among second-year running backs. 
and his rush at 3.8 yards per carry. He hasn't been as much of a revelation as I thought he would at the start of the season. Um, yeah, I mean, he's got his fair share of rushing attempts. Um, he's been, you know, sharing snaps with Zach Moss in that Buffalo backfield. But um, I guess I am, you know, on a slightly disappointed side with him so far. He's been bad, but he hasn't been quite as prominent as I thought he would. On the other hand, however, Miles Sanders has rushed for 434 yards, which is sixth in the league and the first among second-year running backs. And he's been rushing at 6.1 yards per carry. So I've been... Extremely impressed with him, especially this past week against Pittsburgh, which is, you know, as you know, they have one of the best Russian defenses in the entire league. And, you know, he was able to get um, plenty of, um, oh, sorry, against uh, the Ravens. I'm talking, sorry, about they played the Ravens this past week. Um, and he had his fair share of yardage. He played the Steelers last week and did just as well. So I've been really impressed with how he's able to get his yards, especially against really good Russian defenses like the Ravens and Steelers. Yeah, for my, I went Miles Sanders as well with my sophomore mid. And just like you said, Jack, he's done really well so far. Whilst, as you mentioned before, that the Eagles offensive line, just like the rest of the uh, NFC East, and the Alien, it hasn't been very good. So he's actually done quite well considering the, the, what he has to work with in Philadelphia. So I think, I think the prediction that me and Jack have made on Miles Sanders having a sophomore mid would be certainly on track, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, I had Kyler Murray as my first one, and I definitely think we can all agree he's definitely taking the leap. He had that rough patch there against uh, the Lions and then the Panthers, the rough patch, but he looks good. He looked really good yesterday against the Cowboys, so uh, definitely sophomore leap on track. I don't think he's really in the MVP race anymore, unless he can really continue to improve over the next few weeks and really take his game uh, to a really high standard, but obviously it's going to be hard to catch up to the likes of Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes right now. Um, my second sophomore league player that I had was Taylor Rapp, and yeah, that's completely gone off the tracks. He's not been getting many snaps, uh, so he hasn't really had much opportunity, but yeah, he's definitely not playing at a high level when he is on the field. So I was wrong there, but at least I was right about Kyle Murray for now. <laughs> yeah, Taylor Rapp's an interesting one. He was um, really promising in his uh, rookie season, and um, he got beat out by rookie safety Jordan Fuller. And it's interesting because uh, based on his performances last season, you would have thought he'd be in the box seat for a starting job in that Rams defense. But you're right, he hasn't had many snaps. But um, yeah, I definitely think we'll see more of him down the track. Um, yeah, I had Kyle Murray as my MVP pick. So like you said, I don't think he's in the MVP race at the moment, um, you know, compared to guys like um, Mahomes and Russell Wilson. But um, if he can continue to kind of carry this Cardinals offense, then um, who knows, different story down the track. But yeah, at the moment, I don't think he's an MVP race. Now, as for our um, sophomore, you know, declines um, this season, I had Debo Samuel and Josh Jacobs and um, Debo Samuel has had just 11 receptions for 120 yards, which ranks 149th in the league, but he's only played in three games this season. So while 40 yards per game as an average for him, I, I think I'd be expecting more out of him, but he is coming off an injury as well. And so, um, you know, I'm not going to say that he's declined um, because I don't think he has. He's a really good talent. I just thought that he would 
decline in terms of statistical production this year because, you know, there'd be more tape on him. And that's the same with Josh Jacobs, who was my other um, um, sophomore uh, faller. Um, he's rushed for 377 yards, which is 12th in the league, but he's rushed at just 3.6 yards per carry and has had the fourth most rushing attempts in the league. So while he's, he's had, um, you know, as, as we thought he would, a, a high volume of rushing attempts, but he hasn't been as efficient this year as it was last year, which is kind of what I expected. So I'm not too um, disappointed with these picks, actually. See, Jack, my, um, my two sophomore slumps were similar to yours. I made, I've had DSN was my one, and you mentioned he played three, uh, three games over this season, averaging 40 yards. I think... I think an aspect of his game that that he had in 2019 that is missing in 2020 is I think the loss of Emmanuel Sanders is actually pretty big for the 49ers. Especially they've had a lot of injuries this season. They could definitely have used a guy like Emmanuel Sanders in that offense. And that just takes out another solid cornerback out of the um, you know, the, the playbook of, of the opposing team. So Debo Sanders will be able to run more freely. Doesn't have that luxury anymore. He's kind of that go-to guy when he's healthy in, in San Francisco. And it becomes it becomes more predictable for uh, opposing secondaries to match up on him. And now my other uh, prediction for sophomore slumps uh, in 2020 was Dwayne Haskins. And I remember this. I remember when I made this prediction back uh, a couple months ago, I remember you guys were all like, oh, he's, he, didn't, he only played seven games last year. He, he hardly started. How, can he, how could he have a slump? I called it. That's not... not <laughs> uh, you, you guys have all seen the, the news out of uh, Washington. They're, um, they don't have a single suit to take uh, to pick him up, uh, even as a backup in the NFL so far. So he is basically without a job. So um, I, I can't hold in how excited I am that I've predicted this. Look, I, don't mean, I don't mean anything bad. I don't, I don't mean no disrespect to you, but Mr. Dwayne Hastings, but my prediction was right. I'm happy about it right. <laughs> yeah, it was a good call, Anthony. Yeah, regarding mine, I had AJ Brown. Um, both of mine have been wrong. AJ Brown and Devin White have definitely had good sophomore years so far. Devin White, he's on track to have a, a better season than he did last year. Uh, he's got 50 tackles in six games. He hasn't forced a turnover, unlike the four he forced last year. Um, but I don't think that's as important. I think consistency in tackling is much more important as a linebacker. And he's definitely lived up to that. So I've been wrong about him so far. Um, I hope he continues to do well. I've got nothing against the guy. So... Um, and then regarding AJ Brown, yeah, he's just going to keep keep on playing well with um, that Titans offense. Who's, they're really clicking together now. The Titans are definitely one of the strongest teams in the league. Um, they just they just seem so well balanced on offense, and I don't see AJ Brown declining all that much from now. So, yeah, uh, glad, I'm gladly wrong about my two sophomore slump picks. Yeah, um, I just make a point about the Dwayne Haskins pick, Anthony. Um, I do remember, I do remember um, saying that I just didn't like Dwayne Haskins um, coming in to that Washington offense. I didn't like how he played his rookie year. And, you know, I wasn't surprised to see a slump. I mean, I didn't think, honestly, he could slump much further than what he did in his first year. So it was surprising to see him, you know, kind of fall in further from grace. So... Um, I think we will see him entering team next season, but it certainly has been a disappointing year for him. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now there was some other news in the week in, in the league before we move on to our first segment for the episode, which was Le'Veon Bell, who uh, was released from the Jets and signed with the Kansas City Chiefs, which is 
you know, just like the rest of the league didn't want um, another weapon for um, Patrick Mahomes to lean on. Um, obviously, you've already got a standout rookie in Clyde Edwards and Laird there already. Um, and then you're just adding you know, a bona fide um, stud running back in Le'Veon Bell. So, um, what I want to ask you guys is who do you think gets um, the bigger kind of snap share out of Bell and Edwards and Laird? I, I feel like. With the Chiefs obviously selecting um, Hillary, uh, obviously through the draft, I feel like you kind of have to, res- like, maybe more respect is the, is the right word, but you kind of have to go with the guy that you draft. I think we've seen it over the NFL. It's pretty, it's pretty common, I think, especially with the Bears. I want to draw an example when they got Foles. Obviously, had Trubisky had been there for the last two years, having drafted him at the number one draft pick um, back in 2017, I believe. Um, when you have a guy that you bring into a system to the draft, you kind of have to just let it play out. And that has to be your first option until, until proven otherwise. So with the case uh, between Le'Veon Bell and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I reckon the Chiefs will 100%, he'll be the, the main, the go-to guy um, running the ball for at least, forever, forever how long it takes. Maybe he gets injured, maybe his uh, production drops off and then he'll go to Le'Veon a bit more. But I think 100% sure that he'll get the majority of the snaps uh, coming into um, week eight. I, I do agree with you to an extent, Anthony. I do think that having Clyde Edwards aware there, um, not so much just because he was drafted. I mean, the, the Chiefs signed Le'Veon Bell because they know what he can do. They definitely expect a lot out of him. But at the moment, I mean, Clyde Edwards Lair, he just rushed for 160 yards. Why, why, would, they, why would they limit his carries now? Uh, I think they, they ride with him with the majority of the snaps until uh, he kind of declines in level of production. And then, obviously, Le'Veon Bell's going to get a bit more carries. He's going to get familiar with the system. I think by week uh, week 10 or 11, we're going to see one of the deadliest uh, running back combinations in the league, you know, along, kind of like on the same level as Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt right now. Yeah. I just want to raise a point quickly about the Chiefs. I think it's worth noting, like, obviously, in the ace championship game, they kind of just took over, and they, they, they showed us on that day that they had the best team in the, AFC, in the AFC South and the whole AFC. But I think... I think adding Le'Veon Bell and having Clyde Edwards-Hilaire are two players they didn't have last year, obviously. And they're both addressing an issue that they had last year where they had no solid running back. So it begs to ask the question, is this, is this team, like, are they unstoppable now that they have these, both these players in the backfield? Like, where, where can we draw the line and say that, like, the second best team in the, in the AFC, like, their age is off the Chiefs, in my opinion. I think the Chiefs are clearly that the, the, the go to the the go-to team in the whole NFL for, for the favourites to win the Super Bowl again. Yeah, we'll definitely see which Le'Veon Bell they're going to get from this. Are they going to get New York Le'Veon Bell or Pittsburgh Le'Veon Bell? Because if they get New York Le'Veon Bell, it's not going to make much of a difference. And there are, they're definitely a beatable team. Um, you know, I, like it, I, I really would like to see a, a match between the Chiefs and even the Steelers all the time right now because both have very strong teams. The Steelers have a great run defence. And it would be really interesting to see how they match up against the Chiefs in that matchup. Maybe they could. Maybe the offense, I think, definitely is capable of going toe to toe with the Chiefs' offense. I think um, the Steelers do have quite a lot of weapons right now, and they seem to be playing well. So, yeah, it really depends which Le'Veon Bell we're getting. I don't think any team is unbeatable. That, that's for sure. I don't see the Chiefs going 15 and one now, but they're definitely they're, they're still the kings of the AFC right now. But we'll see how they go, and we'll, I'm very excited to see if Le'Veon Bell can return to that, you know, 2016, 2015 point. Yeah, it's interesting you mention 
um, or you talk about New York legend Bell, I don't think that's a fair kind of tag to give him. I think what we saw from him in New York was an indictment on the coaching staff and the offensive line more than it was on his own play or his own talent. I don't think he's washed at all. I think if you can do special things in Kansas City, um, working you know under an offensive mastermind such as Andy Reid and you know a quarterback such as Patrick Mahomes. So, um, but yeah, they've definitely gotten stronger um, from the end of last season. So, and I agree, Anthony, they're definitely a team to beat. Um, in terms of snaps, I think. Right now, you've got to go with the guy with the hot hand, and that is Clyde Edwards-Lair. He knows the offense better than Le'Veon Belders at this point. And at least for the first couple of weeks um, after the signing, you've got to kind of let Bell settle in with the offense. And at least throughout that period, Edwards-Lair will get more snaps and more, um, you know, more chances. But Le'Veon Bell is such a big name in this league, and it's only a matter of time before he kind of... Um, makes his own run and gets his own kind of momentum going, especially his offense behind that offensive line, that coach, that quarterback. Um, it's inevitable, really. Now, uh, our last bit of news this week in the league was a bit of a surprise with the Miami Dolphins announcing that Tua Tango Vailoa is now the starter at quarterback for the Dolphins. And the question is, was this the right call, Anthony? I think... Mm. I don't know, it's, it's a bit of a tough call. It's kind of like, the last question I, the, um, so the last statement I made about how you have to like see through an investment, I think obviously they had um, Fitzmagic in Miami before and, and I'm not saying he's washed, but he's been in the NFL system a long time with a lot of teams. So I think if you're Miami and you're sitting, you're sitting in a manager position, um, I think uh, Fitzpatrick is not the answer long term. I think almost everyone in the NFL world knows that. I think he, even if he himself probably knows that. So I think starting, I think the Dolphins got nothing to lose at this point. They're not predicted to uh, make any meaningful playoff push, let alone make the playoffs. So I think they don't have much to lose. I think starting Tua is just, it's a, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's worth getting some uh, game time into him. It would definitely be very beneficial for the future seasons um, as he gets used to the playbook, you know, gets used to his receivers. So yeah, I think it's a good move by Miami. Yeah, I disagree with you, Anthony. I think right now the Dolphins are, are playing really well. Uh, they're coming off two massive wins against the Niners and the Jets. And I don't. I think it's too early for Tua to start. I like. I think you start him really once you know. Like, I do agree with you that it's important for a rookie quarterback to get some experience early on. I do agree with you there. But put him in when you really do have no chance. When, if the Dolphins, say in week 12, uh, had four wins, then you put him in. When you really do have no chance of making the playoffs, put him in. Right now, they're 3-3. Three and three. Uh, They're above the Patriots in the, in the division. I don't agree with putting Tua in just for the sake of having a young rookie quarterback that's going to be your future. I think right with Fitzpatrick until he actually shows you that he can't keep up. Right now, Tua, it's too early for me. It's too early for you. Yeah, I agree with you, Amelia. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting. I said it's a surprise announcement because I didn't see this coming um, this early, especially with how um, Fitzpatrick has been playing. It's interesting because Fitzpatrick is probably playing some of the most consistent football of his career and they're pulling the plug right now during it. So my guess is that um, the Dolphins are kind of anticipating at some point um, Fitzpatrick, you know, Fitzpatrick's app will 
you know, decline or decrease. I think that's what they're predicting. And they're kind of getting jump, and they're trying to make a jump on that by putting Tua in. He's had, um, you know, six weeks of regular season plus the offseason to kind of um, get a hang of this Dolphins offense. I think it's enough time for a guy like Tua to kind of. Uh, I, I think he's he's had enough time where he can you know start. I'm not sure if it was the right call though in terms of the timing because as I said, Fitzpatrick has been playing. Pretty much out, and they are three and three. They're still in the playoff hunt, whether people want to bid or not. And so, it's an interesting choice. This decision will make or break their season in 2020, in my opinion. Um, obviously, long term, uh, Tua is the better quarterback, um, in my opinion. But right now, I think Fitzpatrick. All things considered, all things considered, Fitzpatrick was the better option. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> That wraps up our little rookie discussion and our news for this week, heading into week seven. Now we move on to our power rankings for this week. And it's 32, we have the New York Jets at 31, the Jaguars at 30, the Washington football team. And at 29, the New York Giants, who got their first win. It came over Washington. And um, <clears throat> after a pretty promising performance in Dallas the week before, the Giants finally get a win on the board. And, you know... <laughs> It sounds silly, but they are still technically in the playoff contention in the ring. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the NFC East effect. Uh, the Cowboys lead that division with two wins right now, so it's, it's still anyone's game. I would have liked to see... I don't understand the decision to go for it, uh, go for two uh, on Ron Rivera's part there. When you're down 19-20, to score a touchdown, force overtime and try to win it there. I don't... I wouldn't trust Carl Island to make a play with the game on the line like that. It would have been interesting to see how the Giants played in overtime if they, if the Washington football team did tie it up. But, yeah, absolutely. The Giants have played promisingly uh, over the past two weeks. They, they did have an unfortunate start to the season, obviously losing stake on Barkley. But they seem to have adapted pretty well. And, yeah, uh, whether or not they're in the playoffs really depends on their division games. And so they're one-on-one one right now. They've got the Eagles in a few days. Uh, that'll be interesting to see. If they can win against the Eagles, then absolutely they are definitely in contention for the NFC title. Yeah, I think, obviously, if you look at the NFC standings right now, the, the Cowboys have got one extra win on the rest of the division, so it's definitely wide open at the moment. I think this game, the game against, the, um, against Washington this week, but basically was close to the entire game until that strip sack uh, on Josh Allen, um, sorry, Carl Allen, late in that game, which, you know, Gave the, um, the Giants that, that, um, that lead eventually, you know, it came back and it came to that two point conversion towards the end. But I feel like uh, it's, it's, hard, it's really hard to say whether or not they're in the, in the um, in, like legitimately in the race for the division here because I feel like the Cowboys having Dak Prescott out, they've taken, they've slightly regressed, obviously, against, as you saw that against the Cardinals. So I think I'm going to just give it a couple of weeks before I definitively say that the Giants are. Definitely in the race. Even though they won't win behind the Cowboys, I don't know if they're quite in the race yet. Fair enough. At 28 with the Bengals, at 27 with the Falcons, the Lions are at 26, and the Minnesota Vikings dropped down to 25 after they got, you know, crushed at home against the Atlanta Falcons, who got their first win. So I know, Emilian, me and you thought that the Vikings were definitely going to win. Um, Last week, we picked them for our multi, um, and they let us down big time. The Vikings, um, it's really interesting because um, they 
we're kind of widely regarded as one of the best, you know, one in four teams of all time. And coming into a home matchup against the lowly Falcons at home, you know, we thought that there was no chance they could lose and they were battered. So, Anthony, I want to know, where is this season headed for the Vikings? I think... I think that where the season's headed is basically, obviously, it's based off where they have their issues at the moment. And so, this season's not going to, I don't think it will amount to anything for the Vikings. I think one in five is just way too big of a hole to overcome in the NFL. And I think, I think if you look at the statistics of teams that have come back from one in five to make the playoffs, we're probably looking at one percent or even less. So, it's basically done now. Um, the, yeah, the the the, um, the defense is just it's just been so under par compared to what Vikings fans have been used to. Um, and against against the, that game against uh, Atlanta, uh, Minnesota had four turnovers and Cousins had three interceptions. So it's really not. It's I think most of the issues are on defense. The rookie defense, um, rookie cornerbacks in particular, are just just not not able to contain. Uh, almost any offense at the moment. But I think Cousins adds, you know, fuel to the flame at the moment um, with those three interceptions. And I think it doesn't look good for Minnesota. And I think they have been questions to tank for Trevor. So <laughs> I don't think we're quite at those panic stations yet, but I think maybe just play off, play out the rest of the season in a, in a consistent map, uh, fashion. And yeah, just go look towards the draft and the trade at the end of the season. So, Anthony, speaking of Cousins and the QB situation in Minnesota, where do you think that's at right now and where it will be next season? I think right now it's... I'm not going to say it's alarm bells for the um, Mike Zimmer um, analysing how he's performed. I think it's certainly very concerning, though. I think, obviously, he's going to get the start um, next week. I think you've got to... If he continues to put out these kind of... Um, these kind of games against teams like, like Atlanta, um, you're going to eventually lose your job. So I think he has to be very careful about, about um, you know, making sure he cuts down the number of mistakes he makes and turnovers. Otherwise, there's a very risky chance that he will be gone um, earlier than expected. I think, I think it was a mistake signing Kirk Cousins to that, to at least re-signing him uh, as they did on the offseason. I think what we saw out of him in the first couple of seasons in Minnesota, got that got that um, playoff win against the Saints last year. I, I, don't know, I wasn't I wasn't convinced that he is a guy that can take you deep into the playoffs, and I think he's starting to show the cracks in his game this season. Yeah, I agree with the whole Kirk Cousins thing. I definitely do think he needs to go relatively soon. But I got to ask you, do you think it's also a coaching problem? Do you think Mike Zimmer's time is kind of running out with the Vikings? Because they're one in five right now, and that is not successful with the amount of star power on that offense right now. I don't think, obviously, they have heavy losses on defense, but I don't think one in five is really something to post about. You're Mike Zimmer, you definitely need to prove that you're worthy of being the head coach of this team, and he hasn't done that so far, in my opinion. I feel like, I feel like they've obviously, obviously, the um, Mike Zimmer and their coaching staff have made a deliberate choice to go through the, the draft to get better plays uh, on defense. And that's something they had to do. They couldn't, they couldn't trade for it. They backed, they backed their draft in to you know, get, the, get, that experience, get, those, get that talent. And it hasn't worked so far this season. So I, 
I know the obvious choice is, is to just go one in five, your job's in the line, like you make that correlation. But I feel like I feel like you just need to wait. You just need to wait until later on in the season. Have got to have that patience with the, those rookie cornerbacks because that's really what has let down Minnesota this season. So I think if we're sitting at three and thirteen or four and twelve, even even five and eleven at the end of the season, I think then you could potentially see Mike Zimmer potentially lose his job. But at the moment, I think we have, we have a close eye on it, but I wouldn't be so definitive, definitive to say he will lose his job soon. Well, I certainly think it's trending that way, unfortunately, for Vikings fans. At 24 in our rankings, you have the Panthers and 23, the Dallas Cowboys, who are really an interesting case. Um, as we know, Dak Prescott is out for the season and Andy Dalton has stepped in a quarterback and he was pretty atrocious for most of that game against the Cardinals on Monday Night Football, um, as was their defense once again. So... The question here I want to ask you, Emilian, is, you know, who is to blame at the Cowboys? Because you've got, um, you know, a really porous defense. It's really quite terrible. It's, it's not going. It's not going to help them go anywhere. And you know, they've got to be offensive weapons. But with Dak out and um, Andy Dalton there now, you have to wonder how far their offense would even take them. So I ask you, Emilian, is it the offense? Is it the defense? Or is it the coaching? Well, I think, I think it's a combination of all of it, to be honest. Uh, obviously, on defense, they're riddled with injuries, and it's really unfortunate, but teams have to adapt uh, in that. It's not an excuse. So um, it's really unfortunate. On, on the offensive side, I think, I think it shows how important the offensive line was to, that, to the team's success. Uh, they, they, I think they have most of their starters out there. Zach Martin, I think, is going to be back. He did get injured early on against the Cardinals, but you're missing some of the best offensive linemen in the, in the league. You're obviously going to take a hit. Obviously, Dak's injury. Uh, I don't want to say Andy Dalton's going to be atrocious for the rest of the season. Give him time to develop chemistry with the receivers, with Zeke. Zeke obviously needs to fix his fumbling issues. That was really, really, really uh, piss-poor performance, honestly, to be blunt, uh, from him. So that entire team kind of needs, needs, to, needs to get their act together, honestly, as well as the coaching. Mike McCarthy, I didn't like um, hiring him as the head coach. I didn't think he was fit. Showing how much he limited Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay, uh, just saw how, like there was bad bad um, relationship between Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy. I don't, I, I just didn't see Mike McCarthy working out as Dallas head coach, and it's not looking like that. So Dallas, yeah, this isn't their year. Uh, even if they do win the division, they're, they're out first round. I don't see any, I don't see them beating anyone uh, that's really like you know a good team in the NFC. So it, it's disappointing if if they're completely healthy. They would be maybe looking at eight and eight, nine and seven, potentially uh, ten and six. But with the injuries and just a lack of um, lack of effort, really, I'm seeing from the whole team uh, to adapt with the injuries. It's just it's not looking good at all. That's right. Now, at 22 of the Chargers, at 21 the Broncos, you had a nice win over the Patriots in Drew Locke's return. Uh, the Eagles came in at 20, and we just talked about the Dolphins, who come in at 19. At 18 of the Texans, the Rams are at 17, and the 49ers got the 16 after an unexpected win um, against the Rams at home on Sunday Night Football. Um, yeah, I mean, we picked the Rams in our molly last week, and, uh, you know, the 49ers, you know, dominated... Um, offensively and defensively for most of that game. And 
as we talked about, the 49ers are coming up on a really tough schedule um, and it's going to really make or break their season. Um, but this win kind of gets them back on the right track. Um, they're back at 3-3 three and three, and Anthony, is there other playoff hopes still alive? I think they're definitely still alive. I think for, for the 49ers to go, um, I'm going to have to go something like now, if there were if there were two and four at the moment, then I'd be kind of questioning are the playoff hopes still alive? I think this win is very important for getting the momentum back on track and getting the belief and confidence back on track. I think we any division win um, in the NFL is really good for confidence, especially in such a tough division um, in the NFC West. I think um, obviously getting Garoppolo back, uh, getting um, Debo Samuel back, and most of it back. I think it, as long as these players can stay healthy, I think they have the confidence back and they have the belief that they can do it, having the, the talent come back into the team. So a win against a, uh, a fellow uh, Californian team, it's a good win. Any wins in the NFL is a good win. Yeah, and it, it's crazy to think how much this win for the 49ers has opened up the NFC West. If the Rams had won, they'd be 5-1 and one right now. The 49ers would be 2-4. and four. You'd pretty much be able to safely say, oh, Seahawks will make the playoffs, as would the Rams. The Cardinals might. 49ers won. That's what most people would expect right now. But right now, none of these teams have a losing record. So it's really anyone's to up for grabs right now in terms of making the playoffs, whether it be the division or the wildcard spots. Uh, it's really interesting. And I'm, I think this is just a start of to, in terms of NFC West uh, upsets. I think we're going to see quite a few of them. And they're all going to be battles uh, just vying for playoff positioning. Yeah. The Patriots are at 15. The Bears are at 14. The Raiders at 13. At 12, we have the Colts, and at 11, we have the Browns who moved down after a crushing defeat at the hands of the Steelers in Pittsburgh. Um, it's, a, it's a familiar story with the Browns. You know, they kind of get on a little bit of a roll, and then, you know, they'll have a disappointing game. Um, and it came against a pretty good defense um, against the 5 0 team. So, you know, it's not the end of the world for the Browns, but Emilian, I want to know. Um, what do you think this loss means uh, for the Browns' season? Yeah, well, first off, it, the most concerning part is that the Browns are 4-2, right? Their two losses have come from the Steelers and Ravens. Those are the top two teams in, the, in their division. And they've been destroyed both, in both of those games. So the Browns have sh they've shown me and they've shown most people that they are not on the same level as their main competition. And that is really concerning. Um, they can beat the easy teams. That, that's fair enough. Uh, they've got a really good offense in terms of running the ball. But as soon as that stopped, as soon as Bacon Mayfield is kind of forced to put the game on his shoulders, uh, that's where they kind of falter. That's where they kind of go all over the place. Uh, the Steelers, yeah, they just played perfect against them. Regarding the Browns, look, if they can continue to beat like, average teams, that means they'll get a good record. They could potentially sneak into the playoffs with a wildcard position. But I don't think they'll go further than that. If they have to come up against a team of the same caliber as the Steelers and Ravens, it, during the season or in the playoffs, they don't stand a chance. Baker Mayfield is not that good yet. He, he, he can't put the game in his hands. And if the run game doesn't work, uh, Odell has been kind of inconsistent with the Browns. So the amount of star power they have, they're just not getting it done against teams they need to beat at the moment. Yeah. I think um, early on that game, uh, obviously, Baker Mayfield threw that pick six. Uh, and you mentioned before, Million, about having to rely on the passing game and having Mayfield kind of carry that kind of offense in the presence of Nick Chubb um, not being there. So 
I think that 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 pick six really set a tone for the day. I think all the issues that Cleveland had against um, Pittsburgh on that matchup on Sunday really just stemmed to that pick six. I think I think you guys could be listening and saying, "Oh, one play that couldn't have sure have lost and not the game." You know that one split second. But I think it really did set the tone for the day. And, and it takes just one play for a, a defense as great as Pittsburgh is to, to for a call like that to just put all the rest of the players in the defense to thrive off with confidence off that kind of start. So also Chase Chase Claypool was someone that's kind of gone under the radar last you know towards the start of the season, but now he's really 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 turning to starting to turn, turn into a gem. Obviously, he had four touchdowns last um, last week. He was he had the most receiving yards for them this week, and he's he's looking. Um, he's looking like the, the go-to guy on offense. So big things out of Cleveland and the same stuff out of um, sorry, other Brown. Big things out of Pittsburgh and the same stuff out of Cleveland, unfortunately. That's right. Now on to our top ten, and we have the Bills at ten, the Cardinals at nine, Packers at eight, Titans at seven, Saints at six, Steelers at five, Buccaneers at four. Seahawks at three, Chiefs at two, and Ravens at one. Now, I want to talk about, firstly, I mean, we've talked about the Cardinals here at ninth, but the Bills moved out to 10 after two straight losses. Now, granted, they've come against two pretty formidable teams in Tennessee and Kansas City, but I think it really brings to the question, Buffalo's ability to beat good teams, and to this point, this season, they haven't been able to, and Josh Allen has looked noticeably below average in those two games against good teams. Because to this point, Allen and that Bills offense have kind of beat up against the bad teams or at least bad offense, uh, sorry, bad defenses, uh, sorry, bad pass defenses. And I think for Buffalo to take the next step on their way to a potential Super Bowl and for Allen to take his next step on his way to being, you know, a being a, a bona fide franchise quarterback, we've got to see this team and this quarterback beat good teams and beat good defenses and Frankly, they have not done so, so far, and it's not impressed me at all. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Jack. I think I was a bit, I was a bit cautious to just go and say that Josh Allen, uh, you know, has been below average this season. I'm just kind of waiting for a matchup like the one we had in the weekend with um, the Chiefs and the Bills. And I don't know if you saw that last play of the game, or the last couple of plays when the Bills had the ball, he threw that interception, and I don't know, you just have to... That's kind of just... You mentioned they can't beat good teams. I completely agree with you because that, that pass, there was three, uh, def- there's three Kansas City defenders around one receiver. So I, I don't, obviously that was a terrible throw, but I think that kind of just sums up how the Bills haven't been able to perform against uh, great teams like Kansas City um, this season. And they'll definitely need to do that if they want to make a, any meaningful run to the playoffs. So I think for the Bills, They'll go. Uh, they just need. They just need Allen to fire. That's really. It. They've got the, the de- their defense and their offense is capable of taking the next step. It's just all on Allen's shoulders at the moment. Kind of a similar situation that that, that they, um, the Browns are facing. So the Bills and the Browns are kind of in that same kind of zone where they they just won't take the next step. Uh, yeah, I completely disagree. Uh, the defense is definitely not capable. It's not jo- the problem. Is not Josh Allen. All right. He can't get on the field because the defense can't make a stop. Okay, uh, he had the game. He 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 put, made the game against the Chiefs a one-score game, right? 
All the defense had to do was get the Chiefs' offense off the field, right? Give Josh Allen a chance to win the game in a one-score game, all right? The, the defense, they let the Chiefs go all the way downfield and kick a field goal. The game was out of reach. I reckon if Josh Allen, uh, if it was a one-score game, if it was eight points rather than nine, Josh Allen does not make that throw. He doesn't try to force it. He tries to move up the field and potentially win the game. He's not going to win the game when it's a two-score game. He's not the problem. The defense needs to shape up and force uh, the, uh, the opposing teams to get off the field, giving Josh Allen more opportunities to make plays. He's not the problem right now. It's all on the defense, in my opinion. I disagree with you, Emilian. You see, the thing is, up to um, second, uh, up to halfway through the third quarter, the Buffalo Bills defense, while it was pretty porous in that second half in the fourth quarter, it kept that Kansas City high-powered offense to just 13 points um, halfway through the third quarter. And so I'm not going to just go ahead and say that Josh Allen kept him in the game. It wasn't just him. In fact, it was more on the defense who kept him in the game early on. Allen, to that point in that game, had only thrown for 78 yards and one touchdown. It's not enough. He threw 11 for 23, 78 yards and one touchdown. It's not enough, especially against a Kansas City defense who isn't that great. You know, they're, they're decent. But, you know, if Josh Allen is a so-called franchise quarterback, he should be able to, you know, bring them down the field multiple times against that defense. And he simply wasn't able to. And um, while the Buffalo Bills' pass defense and run defense was pretty bad in that, fourth quarter, it doesn't excuse the fact that Josh Allen simply didn't do enough. Yeah, another point um, on that defense side, I mean, I also disagree because I think if you're getting up against the Chiefs and use them as a measure to say whether or not your defense is capable of, of going up against, you know, those great teams that come late in the season, I just think the Chiefs offense, we saw the Chiefs did at the Ravens a couple of weeks ago, and the Ravens are widely considered as one of the better defenses in the league by a long way. So, I think it's a humongous ask to really, you know, contain Patrick Mahomes uh, in any scenario. So I think, I want to see the Chiefs offense is like practically yeah, Anthony, 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 this Anthony. isn't new for the Bills. They, they did, the Bills defense was terrible against the Titans. Titans did the same thing. They just went all the way through. They did the same thing against the Rams. The Rams were able to come back in 28-3, to almost win the game because of that defense. Josh Allen did win that game. Won't say anything, Rams aren't a great team, sure. But the Bills' defense is their weakest point right now. If they can shape up and make stops where they need to the most. Okay, yes, it's impressive holding the Chiefs to 26 points, up 23 points for most of the game. It is impressive. Yes, the loss is partially on Josh Allen. But the fact of the matter is, if the Bills' defense steps up when it absolutely has to, when it has to, with the game on the line, they have to make that play. They had multiple third down opportunities to make a stop against the Chiefs. And, they, and it was blown coverage. It's not like Mahomes made absolutely incredible plays. Blown coverage by the Bills' defense cost them that drive, and it just wasted so much time and put the Chiefs up by two scores. It's all on them. No, sorry, let me rephrase that. It's not all on them. Sorry, it is partially on Josh Allen, partially on the offense, partially, it, mostly on the defense, though. The team needs to shape up. I do think Josh Allen is able to bounce back more than I believe that the defense is able to shape up and make stops when they have to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. The defense is the weak link of that team, but I'm not going to act like Josh Allen couldn't do more in that game. The thing is, the defense is they have, they have a lot of talent, a lot of potential. You know, you've got a, a, a premier corner in Tredavious White and one of the better up-and-coming linebackers in Tremaine Edmonds. So I think it's only a matter of time before they can sort it out. You've got a defensive head coach in Sean McDermott. So I don't think that's going to be a lingering issue for them. But at the moment, it is... Um, we had that, the weak link of that team. Um, 
we talked, oh, the Packers are eight in our rankings this week. They arguably finally came up against, you know, a formidable team in the Buccaneers. They did beat the Saints in New Orleans, but that has been their really only um, good, you know, well, at least the win over a, you know, a, a good team this season. And they got completely um, shown up by the Buccaneers defense and Tom Brady was able to do whatever he pleased. The Packers couldn't get much um, push against that Buccaneers offensive line. And um, yeah, you know, the offense dropped 38. Um, obviously, it was a uh, pick six, but you know, the, uh, yeah, it was a really well-rounded performance from the Buccaneers and just the opposite from the Packers. Yeah, I think I think this game. Every couple of se- every season, there's there's this game. There's games that you you look and you see this team is really informed. I think the Buccaneers have found that this is a game that have pro- I think can definitively prove to the NFL world that they are the team. They, they are one of the teams that beat in the NFC and taking down a team like Green Bay. Green Bay were arguably the number one seed, the number two seed, like anticipated for them towards the end of, for the playoffs with the form that they were in. And they just absolutely destroyed them. They only put up 10 points on the day. The Buccaneers got 38. And it comes down to both, both sides of the ball for the Buccaneers played very, very, very well. The offense matched the, the pace that the defense was putting up. But the, uh, the offense uh, had zero turnovers and the defense able to, to, um, create three takeaways on the Packers and when they got those takeaways on offense they scored so it really took the, the game it took the game out of um, Aaron Rodgers' reach really quickly and additionally the zero um, penalties on the day that was really just that one of those really really well-rounded performances where you couldn't really draw a point where they really were at fault. Yeah I'm not going to talk too much here but I do want to just say I've never seen Aaron Rodgers look that uncomfortable in a while throwing back-to-back interceptions one of which is a pick six I think it's a really incredible feat for the Buccaneers to stop such a such a like an, a very high-powered offense that's been rolling with so much momentum recently. So, really strong performance from Bucks overall. Really, really happy with that defensive performance. Though. Yeah, I think another point quickly about the Packers. I think, no, I think the Packers obviously one of the, well, I think they're a great team, no doubt about it. But they haven't really played that many great offenses. They had a, they had a very easy start of the season. I think this is a bit of a reality check for them. So, so that when it comes to later on the season, when they have harder opponents they're going to compete against, I think this is a, a loss I think they need to have so they can reassess themselves and just, you know, kind of keep themselves in check and just note that there's more places they can improve on in the coming weeks. Yeah, I'm not going to react to this one loss from the Packers, but it is definitely concerning when you finally come up against, you know, a, a well-rounded team like the Buccaneers and, you know, you get trounced because... The Saints' defense that they beat convincingly, or well, th- 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 I think they dropped uh, 38 on the Saints' defense a few weeks back, but they are not what I'll consider a, a well-rounded team at this point. So you come up against a well-rounded team for the first time this season and you get smacked. I'm not going to react, but it is slightly concerning. And as you mentioned, Emilian, um, yeah, it was Rogers's only, only his third pick six, I believe, in his whole career. So... Yeah, it is a testament to just how kind of uncomfortable he was up against the Buccaneers. That wraps up our parenting segment this week. It's probably one of our longest ones. We have taken a lot of time on the parentings and our rookie updates so far. So we're going to zoom through the rest of these segments for you guys. 
and we're going to go to Anthony's Q&A for this week. And the first question comes from Tom, who asks, if the Jets land the number one draft pick, should they replace Sam Darnold with Trevor Lawrence? My goodness, that is a tough question. I think, I think at the moment for Jets, it's, there's no doubt about it. We've been saying it since the start of the season. The management is so, so poor in New York at the moment. I think they just have to fire Jace. And I think, I think in relation to this question, I think I can Sam Donald is having a, a lot harder of a time um, being under centre than, than he would be at other teams at the moment. I think, and that comes down to the coaching. So I think it's, it's really hard to say whether or not, it, given, assuming that none of the coaching changes come uh, uh, the end of the season, uh, and, and they, they come up with that number one draft pick, and they are in a situation where they contemplate potentially drafting Trevor Lawrence. I think, oh, I think they would. I think in that situation, they would probably go and draft Trevor Lawrence. I don't think it's the right decision. I think, um, I think, <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm not going to lie. I think that that coaching in New York is a bit hopeless. I mean, that's that's a pretty harsh word to say, but there's, there's just no doubt about it anymore. I think they would make the, that decision. I don't think it's the right one, though. Yeah, uh, just before I move go down to the next question, Anthony, how long do you think it'll take for the Jets to fire Gase? Sorry, yeah, Gase, I meant to say, yeah. <laughs> I think, um, oh, I mean, they should, really, they should realistically be doing it this week. I think the sooner they, they, they fire him, the better. But I think realistically, they'll probably give it another three weeks. Cool. Um, all right, uh, next question comes from The Scramble. Uh, which is better, the Buccaneers' offense or the Buccaneers' defense? Well, another another tough question. Um, I, I think, especially like we mentioned before, that the um, uh, the, the game they played against the Packers was really well, well rounded on defense and offense. But I think, obviously, the offense was the part of their team that was really hyped up in the off season. I think, I think I'll probably go with the defense on this one. Actually, I think, I think the um, I think the defense is probably that part of their game that is really it, it wasn't really there at the, at the very start of the season against the Saints and then we kind of guessed oh maybe this Buccaneers team was you know, wasn't quite as um, as good as we once as we thought but I think like you mentioned you mentioned before Jack about um, how Aaron Rodgers only thrown three pick sixes in his whole career that's not a fluke so I think for the Buccaneers to do that even if it's one small part of the game this season, I think it really, really shows, it just shows how much that defense can put some, can put Aaron Rodgers under pressure. And he's not a player that easily holds the pressure in this league. So I think given that their defense is probably the better part of the game at the moment, I think they'll use that momentum and going against tougher opponents in the NFC and I think they'll, 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 they'll show it a consistent basis that they are, the, if not the best team in the NFC, or definitely in the top three, in my opinion. I think that's definitely down to their defense being absolutely sublime. Yeah, I uh, just want to quickly ask, uh, how much tougher can you get than Green Bay in the NFC? Because they don't have the Seahawks on their schedule, so they've got the remaining NFC South and the NFC North as well. So uh, who, who would you say at the moment, uh, like, would you say, I, I, I would agree with the Saints. I think the Saints are a much tougher team to beat in the Packers for the Buccaneers just because they are division rivals and they did get that loss in week one. So I reckon that'd be a bit hard to go, but 
regarding the rest of the NFC, the Bucks don't have too tough schedule, in my opinion. Yeah, I think if they're going to put up, if they're going to play like they did against Green Bay, then they won't lose another game. But that's that's I don't think they'll play like that every single week. So I think if you look at the, if you look at the NFC South, I don't I don't expect them to lose to potentially the Saints. Um, I don't see them losing the week to the Panthers or or um the Falcons. Um, I'm just looking. I'm just kind of just thinking around the, about the rest of the of the um the conference. They're going to come against um, the Vikings. Believe, they, they, they'll take on the Vikings and Lions at one point. Yeah, and I don't uh, see them. They, they take on the Giants as well. I believe so. Don't yeah. I think it's the Giants. I think it'd be a bit silly to say that they'll lose to an MCS team, but um, <laughs> I think they might potentially be they might potentially be troubled by a team in the NFC West. I believe they're playing the Rams. Yeah, I think they, they, they I'm the Rams. Yeah, they could be troubled by that. I think the Rams' offense could quit that game. You never know. But yeah, as I mentioned before, they, I I can they can definitely say that they'll finish top three in the NFC this season. Short and sharp Anthony Q&A this week. On to multi-madness for week seven. We have picked, as usual, five legs. We were unsuccessful last week with our multi, but we're going to give it another go this week. And we're kicking off with Philadelphia, who we think will beat the New York Giants. We think the Browns will beat the Buccaneers. The Bears to beat the LA Rams. The uh, Patriots to beat San Francisco. And the LA Chargers to beat Jacksonville. Boys, what do you think of these picks? Just quickly, Jack. Uh, the Browns, we t- took them to be the Bengals, not the Buccaneers. Gotta say, they... Did I say Buccaneers? Yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> All good, though. Um, yeah, Anthony, go ahead with the picks. What do you think of them? Yeah, I was going to say, I yeah, I, I went to you know, the document and saw that. Yeah, that was an error. I was about to say that there's no way I could do the Browns with the Buccaneers. But I think... So, I think... Compared to uh, previous weeks, I think there's a lot of 50-50s here. Even though you'd think... A team like the Eagles go go over the Giants and the Patriots beat the 49ers. I think a lot of teams are 50-50. I think you never know with the 49ers getting Debo Samuel back and uh, most of back. Uh, I think they could put together um, a solid game against the Patriots. I, I'm, I'm not. I, I, whilst I do think the Patriots would win this one, I think that's a correct tip here. I think you never know. This could be a quite risky bet. Also. Again, the NFC East is not in any good form at the moment, that's for sure. So the Eagles to beat the Giants could turn out to be a, a game that comes down to the wire. You, know, you just never know. Well, yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you. I do think uh, this is one of the riskier weeks. But I think the Eagles, they have looked pretty good the past two weeks. They did pretty well in Pittsburgh. <laughs> and uh, they definitely um, exceeded my expectations against the Ravens. Uh, last week, so I've been impressed with them recently, despite them not winning. But uh, regarding the Patriots and the Niners, I can't see Bill Belichick losing two games in the world. For me, I just can't see it. I definitely think he's gonna he's gonna want to win after that kind of very average performance against the Broncos. So definitely expect to win there. And the rest of the games, I'd say, are pretty safe. Uh, the Bears, I do think, are well well equipped to beat the Rams. Uh, I know that previous times they played them. Recent years, they've definitely dominated them. Uh, they've completely neutralized Rams offense. So I don't see them winning. I don't see the Rams winning that one, although it could happen. I, I do think they have the other hand. And it helps us because they were at better odds, anyways. So yeah, all for it. Just, just quickly, I don't think Bill Belichick want to lose any game. So I think he'll. So I, I mean, whilst I do agree with you, I'm going, you know, 
moved to the end of the world would be ideal, right? You know, I don't think you want to lose any game against anyone. But as you mentioned against the Bears, I think that's I think that's probably one of the safest leg we have on the, at the moment. And it comes at, I believe, over $3 at value for that one. So I think the Bears will have... They've shown in the last couple of weeks that they're really getting back into that 2018 kind of form that their their defense is just clicking. So I think the Rams are the kind of team that they're kind of vulnerable to a good defense really shutting them down. So I think I think this is probably I think for you punters out there, this is a game that you will probably want to bet on because it, the value is crazy. <laughs> I agree. If you guys are playing with Queen any bets this weekend, make sure you gamble responsibly. Exactly. A million. Your team to watch for week seven. Alrighty, thank you, Jack. Uh, so last week I had the Vikings. They took on the Falcons at home. Very disappointing. They were coming off a really good performance against Seattle. Um, unfortunately, they just couldn't continue their their level of play. They they got destroyed. Um, nothing much to say about it there. We'll see how they go on for the rest of the season, but not looking good. Uh, this week I've got a team that really unfortunate to be in the situation they are in. Uh, they narrowly lost against the Titans last week. It is the Houston Texans. Um, they take on the Packers this week at home. So we'll see how they go. I don't expect them to win it, but I definitely have seen a lot of potential from the Texans. They've lost a few close games this season, uh, most noticeably against the Vikings, really, when it came down to that uh, like uh, fourth downing goal. Pretty unlucky there. Uh so I do expect the Packers to win it, but I do think it'll be closer than most people expect. I think Sean Watson really can uh, take his game pretty high this uh, this week, especially since the Packers' defense isn't too uh, too formidable. Uh, they're not too scary. So we, we still have the Bucks dealt with them. Obviously, the Texans are nowhere near level of the Bucks on offense, but they definitely can perform pretty well with the amount of weapons they have. Um, the, the thing is, their defense needs a complete overhaul to succeed. Their defense has just been letting opposing teams run right through them. And it, it's not getting it done. Uh, the defense was the reason they lost to the Titans. That was easily a winnable game, and it's just really unfortunate. But we'll see how they go. I don't think they'll stop the Packers too much, but I'm hoping in the next few weeks or rather the next season that the defense really gets their act together. Yeah, just quickly, what do you think the score line will be if I can? Uh, I, I reckon it'll be relatively high scoring. I think I'm going to go with Packers is definitely going to look to bounce back. So I reckon I'll say 35 to 30 for Packers. Thanks. Fair enough. Fair. On to TDU's game of the week. And uh, this was a postponed game. We initially had this as our game of the week. It is our game of the week this week again. It's Tennessee versus Pittsburgh um, this week in week seven. Obviously, we've got our four aspects of the game. We're going to run through offense, defense, coaching, and momentum. And who has offense this week? Uh, I do, Jack. I'll kick it off. Uh, so I've gone with, I've mentioned before, Tennessee Titans have one of the most well-rounded offenses in the league, and that's why I've gone with them. The uh, Pittsburgh Steelers have got quite a few flashes of brilliance here and there, but it's not quite consistent enough yet compared to the Titans. Tyler Hill has been great this season so far. Derrick Henry's still the king of rushing yards. Uh, he's he's been playing really well lately. So and it'll be interesting to see how he matches up against that Steelers defense that's been very good at neutralizing the run game. Uh, they've got great receivers and a solid tight end in Johnny Smith. So right now, yeah, I think it's pretty easy to say the Steelers have a better offense. Uh, the Steelers just have to work a few things out, but then I reckon they're still one of the great offenses in the league. I agree. I've got better defense, and I think the Steelers get the nod here. They have the potential to stifle Henry and Tannehill, unlike most defenses they've faced so far. 
They have a premier run defense, and it may be um, the, the one of very few times this season that Henry is actually at least stalled a bit in the run game. Um, Tannehill may be rushed. He's not the most mobile quarterback, so he could be in some trouble. And so I've gone with the Steelers this week. Yeah, so I'm doing um, better coaching for this week. And I think kind of as, kind of like depending on what you said, Jack, about the defense, I really think the defense is, is definitely better coach, in my opinion. And that's the coaching um, on that defense is the reason why it's so good. And so that's testament to Keith Butler, the defensive coordinator for the Steelers. I think his work, and along with Mike Tomlin um, as the you know the coaching team in Pittsburgh, I think they'll have they'll have the, the they'll be able to stop Derek Henry. I think, and um, I think that'll be the key to beating the Titans. Um, both teams are both five and zero, so that'll be an interesting game. Interesting one there, Anthony. Uh, as for more momentum, I think the Steelers get it again here. Uh, both teams just beat a division rival. However, it's the fashion in which the Steelers beat the Browns, I think, um, holds them in better stead. They absolutely killed the Browns at home. They are 5 and for the first time in a while. And, um, yeah, I just think they're really rolling on offense and defense. And, you know, while the Titans won last week and are also 5 and an awesome division rival, they had to kind of... Um, well, they almost kind of choked, but, you know, they left it really late to um, not only tie the game, to win in overtime. So in terms of momentum, it's tough. It's a close off the shore, but I'm going to go with the Steelers. Boys, our game picks? Oh, yeah, I'm going to go with the Steelers for this one. I think I'll get um, 20 to 10. Yeah, I'm, I didn't say, but I think it'll be low scoring. I'm going to go, I think it'll be pretty close. I'm going to go 17 to 20. I reckon in favour of the Steelers. I think their, their defence will be too much for the Titans. I agree as well. I'll go 17-14 Pittsburgh. That is TD's game of the week for week seven. And on to our last segment for this Jumbo episode, we've got my real overreaction. And you guys have got some statements prepared for me? Absolutely. All right, uh, Jack, first one. The Patriots and their fans should be worried after their loss to the Broncos. Worried? Um, no, I'm overreacting here. I'll... I'll, I'll I don't know if concerned is the exact same as worried, but I think it's, it's a small step down from worried. Um, it, it, it is one game. For the most part, Newton has looked pretty at home in this Patriots offense, and I trust that uh, Belichick and Josh McDaniels will, you know, keep supporting Newton, and he will, um, you know, return to, uh, you know, the better performances he's been putting out so far this season. The defense in New England is still um, to be feared, and... Um, yeah, I, I don't feel as if there's reason to be worried just yet. Um, I think we will see them make a playoff push and that is going to be off the back of, you know, Newton and this offense bouncing back from performances like these. All right, so next question is the Browns' 4-2 record is deceptive. That's tough. Um, at, you know, right now, I should go real here. Um, it is slightly deceptive just because the two losses have been against, you know, formidable opponents and have been blowouts. They they have beat, um, I think the best thing that they've beat so far, the Browns would have to beat the Colts and even they've got a few issues. So it's tough because they've definitely been better this season than they were last season. However, 
the two blowout losses to good teams is slightly concerning. And I think four and two is a little bit deceptive. They, they, they feel more of like a maybe three and three kind of team. Four and two is probably, you know, giving off probably the wrong vibe, I reckon, right now. Fair enough. All right, next statement. Uh, the winner of Steelers versus Titans should be considered the best team in the AFC. Um, that's an overreaction, Emilian. I think the winner should be, you know, crowned the second best team in the AFC because as far as I'm concerned, that's, that is the Chiefs and will continue to be the Chiefs for at least the end of this season. Um, we've talked about the Chiefs. They're an amazing team. They're amazingly coached. They've got amazing weapons. Um, and I don't think either Tennessee or Pittsburgh are on the same level as them. So, at least right now. Um, and I don't think whoever wins that game is going to be on that level just yet. So, overreaction, but I would say the winner is probably the outright second best team in the AFC. The Cardinals are back on track to make the playoffs after their big win against Dallas. Yeah, that's a real Anthony. Um, they are back on track to make a playoff push. I wouldn't say that it's a sure thing that we'll go to the playoffs this season, considering how poor they were last year. Um, it's been quite a turnaround between 2019 and 2020, so you definitely got to expect some inconsistencies along the way, and they've certainly had some inconsistent performances this season. They've had a couple of disappointing losses, but these last two weeks have been a step in, uh, two steps in the right direction, and I think they're back on track for sure. Alrighty, uh, the second last statement for you, Jack. Uh, if the Raiders defeat the Buccaneers on Sunday Night Football this week, they'll be a formidable foe in the AFC. That's tough. Um... Oh, if they beat the Buccaneers, I, I guess I'll go with real here. Um, formidable is a strong word considering um, how poor the Raiders have been in past years. But, you know, if they can, in fact, get over the um, Buccaneers, then I think they're definitely on their way to a playoff appearance. You'd have to think, considering, you know, they've already been the Chiefs, if they beat the Buccaneers, then who knows how far they could go. But, um, I would say even if they did lose, that's to be open playoff contention. I don't know about formidable, but yeah, I'll go with real. All right, to finish things off, if the Rams lose to the Bears, they will most likely miss the playoffs. Uh, this is a reaction, Anthony, because if they lose, they've got a four and three, and I don't think that's too much to overcome at all. Um, they're still a winning record. Um, I don't know much about the upcoming schedule, but it all depends on how that offense. If the offense is able to really, you know, continue to play well and the defensive line continue to, you know, s s you know, stem the run game of, you know, opponents, then I don't see why they can't still make a playoff push. I don't think losing to the Bears and going to four and three is, you know, a disaster. And by any means, the Bears have been playing uh, really good football and four and three definitely isn't a record to, you know, um, start making claims that they can't make the playoffs. So yeah. I'll go with that reaction. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jack, just want to point out, the thing is, if the Rams lose to the Bears, the Bears would improve to 6-1, and one, I believe. Um, that means they're, they're, they've got a very good contention for the playoffs. You've got the Packers as well. Then obviously you'll have the Bucks, probably the Saints, the Seahawks, potentially the Cardinals. So I do see it kind of maybe kind of getting dangerous for the Rams, but I do agree with you, 4-3 still a good record. They could build off it. But it would be concerning because they're basically elevating the competition if they lose this game. Yeah, I know what you mean, Emilian. Um, it, it would just see how good the, the Rams really are because um, the team that they've beaten have been 
largely, you know, poor teams for the most part. So if they lose, and maybe they're just not a great team, but I, I think if they lose, I, I definitely wouldn't write them off the post just yet. But, um, you know, you, you start to, yes, like, you know, warning, warning signs. And you're right, there are other teams in the NFC who, um, you know, have strong cases to watch in the playoffs. I mean, it's going to be tight then in the NFC for sure. Even with the seven playoff seeds this year, it'll still be really tight. So, yeah, um, I'm still going to go for interaction. I still don't think um, four and three is in the world at all. Yeah. That wraps up that segment and by extension, today's podcast um, heading to week seven. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Uh, at least Anthony was able to be in the same as me this week. So we're, we're heading towards, um, heading back towards some kind of normality. So that's a good sign. If you haven't already, make sure you follow us on Instagram. That is at Tuxedown. That is where we post all of our podcast and non-podcast content. Go find us there. We're also on Twitter at the TV Podcast, and we post our podcast on YouTube at Touchdown Under. Hope you guys enjoyed episode 22. We will see you next week. Goodbye.